Good morning. You would turn your Bibles to John chapter 18, as was already mentioned. John chapter 18, beginning in verse 28. Reading from the New American Standard Bible, God's Word says, Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the Praetorium, and it was early. They themselves did not enter the Praetorium so that they would not be defiled, but might eat the Passover. Therefore Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. So Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews said to him, We are not permitted to put anyone to death, to fulfill the word of Jesus, which he spoke, signifying by what kind of death he was about to die. Therefore Pilate entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own initiative, or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? When he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you wish then I release for you the king of the Jews? So they cried out again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we, we praise you that we get to hear your word. We get to hear from the living God. And I, I pray now that as we would dive into your word, that, that you would speak, that you would do what only you can do, that you would draw everyone in here unto yourself. Father, I pray that your son, Jesus, the one who shines brighter than the sun outside, that he would get much glory for himself. Lord Jesus, now is your time to shine. Would you indeed get glory in your name? Amen. I want you to imagine with me the scene before us, it's Friday morning. John notes, as we just read, that it's early, perhaps around 6 o'clock. A few hours before Thursday night, Jesus was betrayed by Judas Iscariot. Three religious trials, one by Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, the high priest that year, and then finally all of the 71 of the Sanhedrin, the equivalent of the Jewish 
uh, the, the equivalent, the Jewish equivalent, excuse me, of our Supreme Court today. Not recorded in John, but Matthew tells us that it was the trial of the Sanhedrin that Jesus was sentenced, was condemned to death by proclaiming that he was the Christ, the Son of God. Matthew tells us that the Sanhedrin, that they spat at Jesus. They beat him with their fists. They slapped Jesus. Do you see it? Rather, do you see him? The Son of God, his face swollen, his lip blooding, his clothes with blood on them. This is Jesus. And it's after this assault that Jesus, the king, is led away by the Sanhedrin to Pilate, where he has his first of three Roman trials. One before Pilate, as we'll see. Another for Herod, that's not mentioned in the Gospel of John. And then back before Pilate, which Lord willing we'll see next week. Now John only records that of Pilate's trials. In fact, he gives more detail concerning Pilate than any other gospel. And it's in Jesus' trial before Pilate, in all its details, that we get John's main point. And if you've been here long enough, it's, it's the main point of the book and the main point of our series, Believe and Live. It's John 20, 30, 31. John writes, Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And as you read this account of Jesus before Pilate, perhaps you like me, you're tempted to think, at least I was, that John is mainly interested in showing us how evil and sinister the Jews were and planning to kill Jesus, or how fraudulent Pilate was as a man of justice, as a judge, how weak he was. And yet, while I believe while all those things hold true, John is mainly trying to show us Jesus, not Pilate, not the Jews, Jesus. Jesus is the focus of this account. And John uses our sermon passage to once again show us that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, we have life in his name. In the midst of the sin and darkness as the backdrop, we see Jesus, the light of the world, the King of the Jews. We see him as the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. And we, like Pilate, must render a verdict. Jesus, or the world, Jesus, or ourselves, who is on the throne? We all must render a verdict, and I challenge us all this morning to do that. Now, in order to help us make a verdict, we need evidence. 
And I see in this passage three pieces of evidence that John lays out that take place over three different scenes, as it were, outside the praetorium, inside it, and then back outside. And in these three scenes, John shows us that Jesus is the Christ. I believe the three pieces of evidence are that of the Old Testament offices that Jesus fulfills. Prophet, priest, and king. A prophet spoke for God to the people. He would prophesy of future events, whether blessing or judgment. He would reveal God to the people. A priest would go to God on behalf of the people and offer sacrifices to God so that the people and God might be reconciled one to another and kings were to rule with righteousness and establish peace and prosperity for the people. And yet, every one of these offices, from Moses to Aaron to Samuel and David, they all in the Old Testament, as was said even this morning and grow, they all were to point towards the Messiah, the Christ, who would come and fulfill all of these roles perfectly. And I believe that John has provided evidence that Jesus is the Christ. He is the prophet, priest, and king. And as we walk through this passage, I want to challenge us to, as we examine the evidence, as it were, that we would render a verdict. Is Jesus Christ? Is he your king? Is he my king? Let's look at these pieces of evidence. First, outside the praetorium, here, Pilate questions the Jews. We get our first piece of evidence that Jesus is the prophet. Jesus is the prophet. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium, and it was early, and they themselves did not enter the praetorium so that they would not be defiled, but might eat the Passover. I pulled out this Tasting the Truth book and went over to Catechism 84. The question says, how is Christ a prophet? He teaches us the will of God, reveals God to us, and really was God in human flesh. And I believe we see that in this passage. Let's first get the, uh, the background before we dive into Jesus as the prophet. It says, they led Jesus from Caiaphas. As mentioned in the introduction, they refers to the Sanhedrin, who had just put Jesus through an all-night of religious trials. First with Annas, and according to verse 24, sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. And now they, now they these same Jewish leaders, have led Jesus, who's probably still bound in chains as he were, in verse 24, they've led Jesus from Caiaphas, the high priest, into the praetorium, or the governor's palace. And so we see like a lamb led to the slaughter, like the Messiah was prophesied in Isaiah 53, Jesus, beaten and bound in chains, is led to the praetorium, or the palace of the Roman governor, in this case, Pilate. More on him later. Now verse 28 tells us that it was early. The Jews are doing their best to put Jesus to death before anyone wakes up. 
They want to get it over with. But John points out that the Jews did not enter the praetorium so that they would, you see it, not be defiled, but might eat the Passover. Now, by Passover, John is not referring to the Passover meal, which Jesus had just partaken of the night before. He's most likely referring to the the Passover festival, which was ongoing. And so uh, they wanted to continue to partake of the Passover festivities. They thought to go into the praetorium would defile them. In Acts 10, Peter tells Cornelius and the Jews, he says, you, you know it's unlawful for a Jew like me to, to come and visit you and be in your place. Because the Jews had thought that to associate with the Gentiles would defile them. But do you see the irony that John the writer continues to point out throughout his gospel? Before the trial even begins, John wants the readers to know the same people who were so focused on keeping themselves ceremoniously pure religiously upright, that they might partake of the Passover, are the same people who defiled themselves with such hate in their heart as they plotted to kill Jesus, the true Passover. They were so focused on their outward righteousness that they did not consider the one who can truly make them righteous, namely Jesus. The Christ. And while we could camp out there, let's continue. And so they lead Jesus to the governor Pilate's headquarters. And verse 29 says, Therefore, Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? Now, who's Pilate? He was the governor of Judea, having been appointed by the emperor Tiberius in 26 AD. In his Reign, as it were, last roughly 10 years. Bible scholar D.A. Carson, who has been cited during this series often, writes on Pilate, both from biblical and extra-biblical sources. Historians have come to know him as a morally weak and vacillating man tossed to and fro, who, like many of the same breed, tried to hide his flaws under shows of stubbornness and brutality. His rule earned him the loathing of the Jewish people, small groups of whom violently protested or put down with savage ferocity. The Jews bring Jesus to this man, to Pilate, who now goes out and poses a question beginning Jesus' trial. What accusation do you bring against this man? Now, if you crawl in earlier, chapter 18, when Jesus is arrested in the garden, he's arrested by not only Jewish officers, but Roman soldiers. And it had to be approved, you would think, by Pilate to send forth hundreds of his men to arrest Jesus. So surely he knows something. He knows something about this Jesus. And yet, I think we see a glimpse of Pilate's stubbornness and desire to prove his worth as governor, that he would force the Jews to publicly answer his question. An answer they do, verse 30 says, they answered him, if this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. 
In other Gospels, it's recorded the accusation that Jesus claims to be the king of the Jews. Yet here, the Jews, they currently avoid the specifics of Pilate's question as if it's as if not to play his mind games. They flat out say, as it were, you know what he's done. We wouldn't have brought to him to you if he had done no wrong. And there's back and forth and continuing the back and forth. Pilate, in essence, says, if you don't want to give me specifics, if you don't want to answer me, the one on the throne, as it were, you take him yourselves and you judge him according to your own law. And Jews' response, as it were, verse 31, we are not permitted to put anyone to death. In fact, it's not lawful for us. We can't do it. For Jews, it was not lawful to put anyone to death. Now, Jewish leaders could hold a trial and they could find someone guilty of a crime punishable by death. But it was Roman law that a Roman governor had to approve of such a verdict and therefore condemn someone to death. And so as you see the legal jarring back and forth outside of the governor's house early in the morning, what's the accusation? Really? You already know. You don't want to tell me? You judge him. Because of your law, because your law says we can't judge him, we can't put him to death, you do it. Check me. You know, we can get lost in the legal battle. We can get lost in the back and forth between Pilate and the Jews. And yet John, using this scene as a background, I believe he's seeking to communicate a greater truth. John is revealing us the, the irony of these corrupt law-abiding citizens, these Jewish leaders using the Roman law to not merely execute the plan to kill Jesus, but to more importantly, execute the plan and prophecy of Jesus. Let me read that again. John is revealing to us the irony of these corrupt law-abiding citizens. Our law says we can't do it. Using the Roman law to not merely execute their plan to kill Jesus, but to more importantly execute the plan and prophecy of Jesus, the true prophet, the Christ himself. Jesus is the true prophet. Verse 32 says, verse 31, the Jews said to him, we are not permitted to put anyone to death. Verse 32, to fulfill the word of Jesus, which he spoke, signifying by what kind of death he was about to die. This legal back and forth between the Jews and Pilate, this legal checkmate was to fulfill the words of Jesus. The true prophet, the Christ, who spoke for God to God's people to inform them of their salvation. You see, Jesus himself had already prophesied by what kind of death he was going to die. Listen first to John chapter 12. You can turn there if you like. John 12, verse 49, for Jesus says, For I did not speak on my own, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. He is God's mouthpiece. Jesus is God's prophet. Now, just before Jesus says these words, in John 12, verse 32, he says, And if I, 
And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Now he, Jesus, was saying this to indicate what kind of death he was going to die. Jesus, being from God, on behalf of God, prophesied that he was going to be lifted up, that he was going to be crucified. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, Jesus says, Now he took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. And all the things that have been written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles and be ridiculed and abused and spit upon. And after they have flogged him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. Jesus clearly showed the Gentiles, the Romans, will kill him, not the Jews. Back in the Gospel of John, Jesus points out his death by crucifixion. Again, John 3, Jesus prophesies, And just as Moses was lifted up, lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that, so that, so that everyone who believes will have eternal life. Jesus prophesied before his death, before John 18, what kind of death he would die. For the purpose of showing salvation. That was the job of a prophet, to show God's future blessing, to show God's future deliverance. So that everyone who believes will have eternal life. And Jesus fulfills this prophecy. This backdrop is to show Jesus' prophecy fulfilled. So that's one piece of evidence, but remember, you still must render a verdict. But before you do, let's look at another piece of evidence inside the praetorium, the governor's palace. So we go to scene two, as it were, where Pilate questions Jesus. And we see that Jesus is the king. He is the messianic king. Verse 33 says, Therefore Pilate entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? There's a change of scene. And as Pilate goes back in, it's, it's as if John wants to remind us that, that Pilate, he has a choice. I can choose Jesus and side with him, or I can side with the Jews. I can side with Jesus based on the evidence that he provides, or I can side with the Jews based on the evidence they've given. He's heard one side, now he has to hear another. And so summoning Jesus, Pilate asked, you, the king of the Jews? Now the Greek poses the question, just how the New American Standard poses it, you, is given the emphasis. Pilate is saying, they can't be serious as he sees Jesus, this, this bloody Jesus, this, this swollen-faced Jesus, this normal, regular man Jesus from head to toe. He, he can't possibly be you, the king of the Jews. Pilate's not taking him or this trial seriously. But Jesus, 
being true to himself, is not tossed around to and fro by Pilate. He stays true to himself, and he poses a question to Pilate. Jesus asks in verse 34, are you saying this on your own initiative, or did others tell you about me? Pilate goes from the judge asking all the questions to the accused on trial. Who are you? Who put you up to this? Thus he replies in frustration with his second question to Jesus. Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? It's as if Pilate is showing his hand. He's frustrated by the whole proceeding. He's not a Jew, and he has no dealings with the Jews, as it were. He has no dealings with Jesus. And so he asks, what have you done? Pilate's starting to get that, that Jesus, he can't be this rebel who the Jews have made him out to be. There, there must have been something that, that, that Jesus has done to angry the Jews that they would bring him to Pilate. Jesus, having listened to Pilate, having realized the charge before him is that he is an insurrectionist. He's stirring up trouble. He's the king of the Jews. He's an enemy of Rome. So Jesus begins to answer Pilate's question concerning, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, I am. Jesus is the king. The second piece of evidence, Jesus is the king. Under that banner, sub-point one, if you will, Jesus identifies himself as a king. Pilate says, what have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as is written, my kingdom is not of this realm. In saying that my kingdom is not of this world, he is thus proclaiming he is the king. He has a kingdom. He is a king. In verse 37, that's how Pilate takes it. He says, so you are a king. You have a kingdom. You are a, a king. And Jesus answered in verse 37, you say correctly that I am a king. No, in the in, in SB, correctly is in italics. It's not in the original Greek New Testament, but it's in, in essence clarifies what Jesus is saying. He's in essence agreeing with Pilate's question and assertion that Jesus is a king. So Jesus identifies himself as a king. And next, Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. Jesus is trying to inform Pilate of what kind of kingdom he has. He says in verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fine so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. He affirms twice that his kingdom is not, out, not of or not from this world. He's saying his kingdom does not come from this world. It's not sourced, birthed out of this world. 
If it did, his servants would be fighting, so he wouldn't be delivered. That's what would cause Pilate to question. Ah, so if your servants are fighting, then who are you going to fight next? But Jesus says, my kingdom is not in this world. And so if his kingdom is not in this world, what kind of kingdom does Jesus have? Well, it's, it's not there in the text, but we know from other portions of Scripture that it's a spiritual kingdom. Jesus rules and reigns in the hearts of those whom he died, was buried and rose again. And one day, he and his followers will reign with him in the new heavens and the new earth. And yet, while his kingdom is not of this world, it manifests itself. It shows, it reveals itself in the world through the king's subjects. Again, spiritual in this today, spiritual kingdom as it were, but, but Jesus' kingdom, it manifests. He shows himself through the king's subjects, his people. More on that in a second. So Jesus identifies himself as a king. He says his kingdom is not in this world. Well, what kind of kingdom is it? What is it of? Jesus' kingdom, third point, is of the truth. Jesus' kingdom is of the truth. Picking up in verse 37. Paul said to him, so you, you are a king. Jesus answered, you say correctly that I'm a king. For this I've been born and for this I've come into the world to testify to the truth, and everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. The question has been asked, is Jesus saying, for this purpose, being king, I've been born? Or is he saying, for this purpose, I've been born to testify of the truth? The NET, the NIV, NLT, and King James, and other translations seem to suggest it's the latter. That Jesus' purpose as king himself was not to have a political kingdom, not to build a militia, not to overthrow Rome, but to testify to the truth. Jesus' kingdom is a kingdom of the truth. It's built and established and governed on truth. As a family, we, we like to go to Chick-fil-A. Anybody like to go to Chick-fil-A? I got some, I got some amen, some hands in the back. Uh, we don't go often, but we, we, we like to go. And Chick-fil-A has a mission statement. To be America's best quick service restaurant at winning and keeping customers. To be America's best quick service restaurant at winning and keeping customers. Their, Chick their mission statement, it drives them. Everything they do, from the drive-through line, right, the two double lanes, right, to, to folks even out there taking your order while you're in the line, uh, the, the smiles on their faces, the asking for extra sauce, they give you extra sauce. They don't just throw it in your face. They actually give you the extra sauce. They're saying, my pleasure. Everything they do is because of their drive to uphold the mission statement. They want to 
be a place where they have America's best quick service. And so from the double lines and the drive-through uh, to the, uh, the Chick-fil-A app where you can order it and boom, you show up and there it is. It, it, all those details drive the way they make the food. Everything drives the mission statement. They want to win and keep customers. So from the relatively fast lines they have, the variety of food options to meet each person, the PR promotions, Cal Appreciation Day, to, to bring, to win, to bring in families. They do the things in the community and for the community in every location that they are in. They make you feel good. They make you want to go back. And they do it to fulfill their mission. And the point is, so it is with Jesus. In his kingdom, everything he does, everything the king Jesus does flows out of his mission to testify to the truth. His kingdom is built on truth. It's grown on truth. And he bears witness, therefore, of the truth. Now this word truth has, I believe, double meaning especially given the context of this passage. One, it's the truth in the sense of fact or fiction, true or false. Jesus came to tell the truth. And so as he's before Pilate, he's saying, Pilate, I'm telling the truth. What I'm telling to you, that, I, that I'm a king, my kingdom is out of the world, I'm not a rebel, I'm not, I'm not against Rome, I'm not trying to fight the throne of Caesar, I'm telling the truth. And yet it's, it's more than that. It's the truths concerning the cores of the faith. Among them, God, man, sin, salvation. And there's more. It's the truths that go back to our prologue. John 1, 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we see, saw his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. It's verse 17 of chapter 1. For the law was given through Moses, prophet. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ, the greater prophet. In verse 18, no one has seen God at any time. God, the only son who is in the arms of the father, he has, he has explained him. He has told the truth concerning who his father is, who God is. He's told the truth, I already read it earlier in John 3, about how we must be saved. This, the, the, the Savior must be lifted up on a cross so that everyone who believes will have eternal life. Those truths are the truths in which Jesus' kingdom is built. And there's more. And yet above that, Jesus, the king, came to testify of the one who is himself the truth. Jesus himself, he is truth personified. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The purpose of his coming was to make himself the truth known. And the purpose of his kingdom is to make the truth himself known. And so he came to his own, but as we've seen and as we're seeing right in front of us, they did not receive him, but to all who would receive him, 
all who would believe in his name. They get to become part of his kingdom. It's bearing witness to these truths and so many more that are on the king's mission and drives it. And yet we also see the king, he has an army. John 18, verse 37. So he corrected that I am a king, for this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Everyone who is of the truth is a part of my kingdom. The same phrase when Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world, it's, it's, it's everyone who is of the truth, whose source is the truth, or is one translation person who loves the truth, who is on the side of the truth, they listen to his voice. They do what the king says. Jesus says in John 10, my sheep, you can say my army as it were, my subjects, they hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And Jesus' kingdom is described as the kingdom of truth and as the king bears witness of the truth, namely himself, he draws more of his soldiers to suit up for him and do the same. D.A. Carson writes, Disclosing the truth of God, of salvation, and of judgment was the principal way of making subjects, of exercising his saving kingship. And so as the King himself, Jesus, bears witness of the truth, namely himself, here I am, the one who will die on the cross for sinners to draw more to himself. And as he bears witness of that truth, those who are his, who are, who are, who are his subjects, they, they, they come. They, they join, as it were, his, his army. They, they're, they're at it. They listen to his faith, his, his voice, and come to him. in this passage that we see Jesus as both the prophet and king. Prophet in that he declares truth to his people. And king in that through the truth of the gospel the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that you guys already heard about. He delivers his people from the enemy of Satan, sin, and death to himself under his rule. This is Psalm 72 personified where the psalmist prophesies of a coming king who will deliver his people, judge rightly, and allow his people to prosper under his rule. This Sunday, if you're not reading anything, I commit that text to you. So Jesus, he is the Christ. He's the prophet, the one who declares truth who namely is himself, is the truth. He is the king. The one who, on the sound of his voice, under the life that he lives, draws men to himself, delivers them from their sin. And lastly, Jesus, he is the priest. He is the priest. 
proving that he is the Christ. Verse 38. Pilate said to him after saying, after Jesus says this, Pilate said to him, what is truth? And when he said this, he'd live you let me let me go back to to that. What is truth? You know, we could camp here. There are many people who've, who've preached on this this text. They've they've camped here. Jesus is, 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 is offering Pilate a, a place in his kingdom. He says, everyone who's of the truth hears my voice. Pilate, do you hear my voice? Pilate, are you of the truth? He's offering Pilate a place in his kingdom. He's asking Pilate, what's, what's your verdict? Now, Pilate, presumably further outraged by this entire trial, after Jesus' testimony, perhaps even a little agitated, he begs the question, what is truth? And I believe uh, Pilate doesn't want the answer. Why did I say that? Verse 38, he says after Pilate says, what is truth? And when he said this, when he said this, he went out again to the Jews. He doesn't allow Jesus to answer. He just leaves. So Pilate, he has the Jews telling him one thing. He has Jesus telling him another. And other gospels, his wife telling him, ah, don't harm this man. And so himself, in wanting to preserve his job, he's conflicted. What, what, what is truth? Well, truth is standing right in front of him. And yet he doesn't here. Now, what is he going to do with that? And here we get our last point, as I said earlier. Jesus, the priest. For saying this, he, Pilate, he leaves. Another scene, he goes back out to the Jews and says to them, I find no, ground, no grounds at all for charges. I find no guilt in him. You know, it appears as if Pilate, he sifted through the evidence. He's heard Jesus' testimony. And he comes to your rightful judgment. He renders his verdict. Not guilty. And yet Pilate is a man who lacks responsibility. He's a man who's focused on self-preservation, on his own throne, his own job, as it were. He dare not infuriate the Jews and perhaps cause a riot and be removed from his post. And so immediately after saying, I find no guilt in him, he says, but you have a custom that I release the one for you at the Passover. Do you wish then that I release for you the king of the Jews? And they shout it now. Uh, the gospel tells us now there's more people out there. Uh, as the, the, the time has gone on, the trial has gone on, there, there's more in the crowds. And they, the Sanhedrin, but also others in the crowd, say, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a rebel. The Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, they all seem to indicate that the Jews, it was their idea concerning Pilate, uh, to Pilate, 
uh, the idea of releasing someone. John does not mention that, but whoever brings it up, the idea of a release, we, we still nevertheless see Pilate being pushed around by the Jews. Pushed around by his desire to stay on his throne, as it were. For releasing Jesus could have upset the Jews and a riot could have started. Now on aside, you know, we can go about um, talking about Pilate's situation. Here's a governor, a political figure, who reminds us of so many politicians today, right? Uh, many of today's politicians are being swayed by the world, and perhaps many, some of us, are being persuaded, tossed to and fro by the world. And the media on both sides of the political aisle are blasting their trumpets and creating upheaval when politicians lie or don't want to do what they, the media, wants them to do. And I can go on about that. We can go on about that. Perhaps some want us to go on about that. And while I think that is merit to that conversation, I'm persuaded that John mainly wants us to see not Pilate's fickle injustice, not his toss to and fro, but he wants us to see, here it is, Jesus as our priest. So come on, get to it, Pastor. Pilate offers to release a prisoner based on a previous custom that he had done for the Jews at previous Passovers. And that prisoner is Barabbas, who is our, the passage. Others elsewhere tells us he was a rebel. Uh, a passage here tells us he was a robber. He was an insurrectionist. The same kind of person Jesus was accused of being, this man was in fact. The evidence was in on him. He was a murderer. He was guilty. Jesus was innocent. Mark 15 tells us that, that Barabbas, he committed murder, but that Jesus came to testify of the truth, thus, thus giving life. Oh, the contradiction. Oh, the contrast, rather. Jesus himself was life, and yet Jesus took Barabbas' place. He was Barabbas' substitute. You see, Barabbas deserved to die. He was a murderer who rebelled against Caesar. But at just the right time, during Passover, Jesus was offered in his place. The Jews and Pilate decided to sacrifice Jesus and let Pilate go. The innocent die for the guilty. Barabbas didn't know it, but as our catechism says, why do you need a priest? Because I'm guilty. Barabbas needed a priest. He needed someone to offer a sacrifice that he might be set free. And the text appears that the Jews offered Jesus as the sacrifice, but I don't want us to get stuck in the, the weeds, friends. This last scene is the mic drop that, oh, it seems that, Bar that Pilate and the Jews, that they were the ones who offered up Jesus. 
when I submit to you on the words of Jesus that he offered himself. And I think John has this in view because John writes in chapter 10 concerning Jesus. Jesus says, verse 17 of chapter 10, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life. Because I lay down my life. Because I lay down my life so that I may take it back. No one, no one, no one has taken it away from me. But I lay it down on my own. Jesus offers the sacrifice of himself for sinners. He is the priest. Pilate did not take Jesus' life. Jesus laid it down. Pilate did not offer Jesus as Barabbas' substitute. Inasmuch as Jesus voluntarily gave himself as Barabbas' physical substitute, so that as the great high priest, here it is, he might voluntarily give himself for sinners as their spiritual substitute. Don't get it, don't get it twisted, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus, Barabbas isn't the point. John wants us to see that, that as Jesus voluntarily gives himself up, as it were, that Barabbas might be set free. So he does for those who would put his faith in himself. He is the great high priest. Hebrews 11, for Christ did not enter a holy place made by hands, verse 24, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God for us, verse 25 of Hebrews 11, nor was it that he, Jesus, would offer himself, there it is, offer himself often as the high priest enters the holy place year by year with blood that is not his own, Otherwise, he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the consummation of the ages, he has been revealed to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is destined for people to die once, and after this comes judgment, so Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many. Jesus is the priest. He is the one who lays down his life for sinners. Isaiah 53 speaks of this suffering and death of the Christ for the sake of his people. Again, another text I commit to you, Isaiah 53, which clearly points to the priest who renders himself as a guilt offering for sinners like us. Who is Jesus? What's your verdict? In review of where we've been, I submit to you earlier that John's purpose statement for this gospel was John 20, 30, 31. So then many other signs Jesus performed in, this present, in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That by believing you may have life in his name. I told you to believe that John wrote the gospel, who wrote the gospel of John is the same reason, he gives the same reason, it's the same reason why he wrote this passage. That you, that I may believe that Jesus is the Christ. And we looked at three pieces of evidence. Jesus as the prophet, king and priest. We've seen him as the one who prophesied his death. 
which brought us salvation. We've seen him declare himself king of a kingdom that is not of this world, but one that is embodied in the truth, and one that is filled with an army of truth proclaimers. And lastly, we've seen Jesus, the priest, the one who Pilate offered for Barabbas, but better yet, the one who offered himself up for us as proof positive that he is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He fulfills those offices perfectly. And so in application, as we close, you must render a verdict. Who is Jesus? You've been given the truth. Is he on the throne? As our Pastor Rick said last week, is he Lord of your whole heart? Is he the king of all of your life? Or have you, like Pilate and the crowds, have you rejected him? Oh, I submit that you would encourage you, exhort you to take the crown off your head and repent and coronate Jesus. For he is Lord. Would you in your house take the crown off your head and crown Jesus? In your marriage, would you take the crown off your head and crown Jesus? In your job, would you take the crown off your head and crown Jesus? In all of your life, do you and I render a verdict? He is Lord. He is King. Oh, brothers and sisters, if you would do that, if you would say aloud, Jesus is King. Oh, how sweet life is. That, that Jesus, the one who died, buried, and resurrected, that he offers us a place in his kingdom. And now if you're of his kingdom, we must be like our king. And our king, in this kingdom, it's a kingdom of truth. And so we must go forth and proclaim his truth. That others, other subjects might come to that. And this afternoon, we have an opportunity to do that. We have an opportunity to let truth reign in our lives. To, to let truth spring out. This year, we as a church want to get back to being intentional, testifiers of the truth, like Jesus. I'm not sure if you knew this, but our mission is to glorify God by treasuring Jesus Christ and spreading his eternal joy. And the elders have mapped out several opportunities for the body to come alongside one another and proclaim the truth to the lost. One of those opportunities is today. You've been invited to join us for an uh, opportunity for lunch and prayer, a prayer walk, immediately after service. We'll go outside and have a picnic, lunch, and fellowship in the Word together, and catch up on life together, as it were, and then we'll, we'll gather and we'll pray. We'll pray that the truth would come to our neighbors in Uptown. We'll pray for the property that we own down the street that God might use it to be a beacon of truth for this community. We'll pray for those members who live in Uptown, that God would grant them opportunities to testify 
to the truth with their neighbors. We'll pray that God would give us divine appointments to bear witness to the truth and that his kingdom might expand as we testify to Christ and that others with through the testimony we proclaim believe and live. Let's pray.